0: Amen. You may be seated. This morning and every morning, that's what we want to do when we gather. We want to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Uh, We want to look full in his wonderful face. And how do we do that? Well, we look deeply in his amazing word. That's how we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Uh, God's word is an incredible living and active word, a story that tells us of how God loves us. It's a story with one hero, one champion, uh, one savior. His name is Jesus. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 14 as we turn our eyes upon our great Lord. Young men, never give up. Never give up, never give up, never, 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 never. On October 29th, 1941, Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of Great Britain, during World War II, spoke those famous words. And that was absolutely the entirety of his speech. Can you imagine? That was it. When it's that good, you say it, and you sit down. Well, again, he was at his alma mater, uh, a place called Harrow School in London, a place that they say he nearly flunked out. And now he goes back at a time of war, at a time where, where men needed to be encouraged in a country that was ravaged in war, and he goes back to his alma mater, and he says, young men, Never give up, never give up, never give up. Never, 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 never. There is some dispute. Some will say that the actual sir, uh, the actual speech was this. Young men, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing. But I think you get the point. Don't give up. No matter what happens, don't give in. Uh, these are some of the famous speeches that maybe you've heard in your lifetime, or or heard about. Uh, for some of us uh, who are a little shallower in life, and we just think of the locker room, and maybe the the Newt Rockney, the the famous speeches that maybe before a, a big event or at halftime or whatever. Famous speeches, famous words at really important times. Well, we're going to hear the most famous of discourses of all time, and these are Jesus's words. These are Jesus's words in the upper room, the words that he would say to his disciples at a very, very important time. This morning we are in week six of a sermon series entitled, I Am Jesus in His Own Words. What we're doing is that the Gospel of John records for us some amazing statements of I am that Jesus would say, and we've dug a little deeper to to realize when Jesus says things like I am the bread of life, or be, before Abraham was I am, or when he says I am the good shepherd, he's saying more than just what's on the uh, surface. There, when he uses the phrase I am, he's grabbing way back. He's going all the way back to the burning bush where Moses stood before God. And God revealed to him his name, saying, I am who I am. And so now we know a little bit more context of why the religious leaders were so mad at Jesus when he used the phrase, I am, no matter what he said afterwards. Many times they'd pick up stones to kill him. Why? Because Jesus was saying, I am equal with the Father. I am one with the Father. And we start to unpack these I am's in John, and we start to see, we see more of who Jesus really is, and we see more of the gospel story. But the beautiful thing about God's word is when we start to unpack these I am's, we see see the whole Bible story unfold, because again, this is a story about him. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus' incredibly beautiful words. Uh, It's going to be in the upper room where he says, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life, and it's found in John 14. Let me give you a little bit more context for these words. When Jesus says, I am, again, we've been digging who is this Jesus who would use these words. These words are said in the upper room. It's it's what's known by theologians or others as the farewell discourse or the upper room discourse. Now, here's the cool thing about the Gospel of John. John has 21 chapters John 1 through 12 really cover the entirety of Jesus' life. But John 13, beginning in the upper room and the washing of the disciples' feet and and that upper room service, from John 13 through John 21 is going to record to us the last week of Jesus' life. And John 13 through 17 are going to be the words in that upper room. It's really cool. It's like the Gospel of John does this. It's like, listen, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And by the way, John keeps saying, I'm telling you this so that you believe. The goal of telling you this is for you to have a relationship with a God who is. The goal is for you to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So he's going to tell us all the cool miracles and many things of Jesus' life through chapter 12. And all of a sudden, in chapter 13, it's like, it's like, The the camera lens pans really close in, and everything slows down. He's going to say, now the cross is coming. I have one week to live. This is why I've come. I've come to seek and to save the lost. No one's saved without me dying. And without resurrection, there is no hope. So in the Gospel of John, in this farewell discourse, are these incredible, famous last words. These last words of Jesus. Who tells his disciples? He tells them he's going away. Hey, listen, guys, I'm not going to be with you much longer. And where he is going, he says, right now, guys, you cannot follow, but you will follow me later. And Jesus tells his disciples and us that he's going to prepare a place for us. It's such good news. What's he doing now? Well, he's preparing a place for us, a place in his father's life. And it's there where he says to them, I'm the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life. Now, let me give you a little bit more context. It makes this even more wow. For the Jewish person, uh, for, the, for those men, they would have known this is what they were taught all of their life. Torah, God's law, it's the way. Torah, God's law, it's the truth. Torah, God's law, it's the life. And now, like only Jesus can, he takes that phrase and he personalizes it. He says, no, Torah is not the way, the truth, and the life. It points to the way, the truth, and the life. Guys, I'm it. Personally, I have personified the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to look at three things this morning. What does it mean for him to be the way? I am the way. What does it mean that when he says, I am the truth? And what does it mean, I am the life? We're going to read uh, the entire chapter of John 14. Now, let me tell you, when I started to work on this sermon, I had John 14, 1 through 11. There's 31 verses in this. And the more I looked at it, it says, you know what? It says so much about what he is going to do throughout this. And every time I realize I'm reading a longer passage, I always think, it's a long time for them to listen to this. So, will you do me a favor? You, of all the things that are said today, this is going to be the most perfect. This is going to be the most holy. Why? Because these aren't my words. These are his words. And so, Uh, We are people of the book, we're people of God's word, Um, and we are going to read it, Um, and I'm just realizing I don't have my glasses up here, which I'd like to have, so hopefully I'll read it, (laughs) but we're going to read John uh, 14, uh, 1 through 31, let's hear the holy, inerrant word of God. Let me, I'm going to try to do it from there. Okay, let's read. Let not your hearts be troubled. I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and have seen him. Philip said to him, "'Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us.' Jesus said to him, "'Have I been with you so long, you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father.' How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I've said to you, I did not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know me, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Get a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You will also live. Praise God. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the world that you, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Listen to this. Peace I leave with you. My peace. This is the Prince of Peace. I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place. So when it does that, that take place, you may believe. And I will no longer talk much uh, with you, but for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these famous words that are so much more powerful than Winston Churchill's incredible speech in 1941. That God, these are the words of God himself. These are the words of Jesus in that upper room. These are the words that he would tell his disciples and to us at the very end of his life. And these are the words that point us to Jesus and reminds us that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life in person. Oh God, I asked because of the reality of who Jesus is, that you would do that which only you could do by the power of your spirit and the, and the preaching of your word, that you would speak through a broken sinner like me. That God, that you would give us the ears to hear your voice and the, and the minds to understand these words that Jesus says in that upper room. That, God, you would give us the grace to believe and the hearts to embrace this truth. That, God, that you would give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God, the things that I say that are wrong are just my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, oh, God, would you use those things to mold us and make us more like your Son, our Savior, and it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. And these, these words in that upper room where Jesus would say, I am the way. I want to I show you when he says, I am the way, there's three things that he is telling us that we got to unpack. He says, I'm the way who leads us home. I'm the way who covers our past. And I am the way who empowers our present. Let's start off with, I'm the way who leads us home. Jesus will say in the very beginning, okay, guys, this is the end. And I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't even tell you. But I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And by the way, where I am, I'm going to come get you, and you will be with me also. Such good news. So he's saying, I'm going to go prepare a home for you. I'm going to be with you in that home. And then he's going to go and tell us that, listen, there's no other way to the Father There's no other access to heaven except through me. So it's Jesus who leads us home. What this is going to tell us is something even more about just the end of life and the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. It tells us what Jesus is doing now, preparing us for that place and preparing that place for us. But it tells us something more we can't miss. This place isn't home. This is not a place that we are going to find our ultimate life, our ultimate security, our ultimate joy, that God has made us for himself. God has created us for paradise. According to God's word, we lost that when we rebelled against God and we sinned. And now everything in this world is broken. I think 2020 and 2021 has revealed to us some depth of that brokenness. If you ever thought that we could find paradise here or Our our, our nirvana here hopefully that's been completely erased but i am of the belief if you've lived more than 20 minutes on this earth you know that this place is broken you know that inside of you it's broken that there are such needs within and such needs without and why is there a longing in our soul and why do we cry out for more and why on our best day do we still long for a little bit more and why is there such an emptiness and a brokenness that we can't describe? And why do we feel homesick? Because this isn't our home. And that Jesus is preparing us for the place that we are to go and to be with him. And it's amazing, this 55-year-old pastor who's known Jesus for a long time still tries to live his life often thinking that I'm going to find paradise here, that I'm going to find ultimate fulfillment here. And it just leaves me coming up short time and time again. It's when we take good things and want to make them ultimate things. But he says, Jesus says, listen, I'm the one who's going to lead you home, home to a new heaven, home to a new earth. Yeah, we're to be a blessing now. We're we're to celebrate with thankful hearts what God has given to us now. I mean, we we are to make a difference now. We really are. What we do now matters. But the good stuff's still to come. You know, there's there's a preacher with a great smile and a huge congregation in Texas. And he he wrote a book, Your Best Life Now. And, you know, if you have that, probably the best thing to do is just start it on fire, all right? Because it's not your best life now. We, we, we can't find our best life now. Why? Because Jesus is not here physically with us. We're not home yet. We can have a good life now, but it's always going to be broken. Uh, this world will never be the home for which we long for. But Jesus is the one. You want to know the way home? You know all know that longiness and brokenness? He's the way. But not only is he the way that, that is opening up our future and is going to lead us home, he's the one who covers our past. He came to seek and to save the lost and the broken. And Scripture tells us that there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so guess what he does? He sheds his blood to cover our sins, to make a payment. To redeem us. He came to separate us, our sins from us, as far as the east is from the west. And I love what Paul will say in Romans 8.1. Listen, if you're in Christ Jesus, if by God's grace you've embraced Christ as, as Savior, here's what it says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What have you done in the past? What, what, what are you doing now? What, what are the things that, that come out of your broken heart that would have separated you from the holy, perfect God? We all have done it. We all have fallen short, right? And here he says, now in Christ Jesus, because of that sacrifice in the empty tomb, there's no condemnation. I'm the way. You want your past to be paid for? I'm it. You want it to be covered? I got it. You want to be set free? I'm the only way. For all the things that have haunted us, for all the things that that we've done as knuckleheads, he and he is the only way that will lead us home, that will cover our past. But he does more who empowers our present. Jesus promises to be with us. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 28, the last verse, verse 20, he's about to ascend into heaven in glory. Remember, he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He says, listen, don't be alarmed. I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, I'll I'll never leave you. I, I will never forsake you. I will forever be with you. I know there'll be times it feels dark. I know there'll be times you feel like I'm so far away. I will never leave you. And let me tell you, not only will I never leave you, I'm going to send to you a helper. I'm going to provide for one who's going to live inside of you, God's Spirit. This is the word helper, the Greek word paraclete, the one who comes along, called alongside us to come and live inside of us. In verses 16 and 17 of John 14, how amazing. Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not, although I'm going to go, I'm going to send you one. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words in verse 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is a promise that God gives to his people, that God will be with us. He'll be with us in spirit. If, now let me let me let me let me uh, just say, if Jesus is the way who leads us home, now think about this. If it's true And Jesus is the one who covers our past, and Jesus is the one who empowers our present, what's troubling you? I mean, he starts off, he starts off like, "Don't be troubled." <laughs> what, what are you wrestling with? What are you wrestling? Are you wrestling with something in your future? Jesus has got it. Are you wrestling with something in your past? Jesus has covered it. Are you wrestling with something right now? What are you wrestling with? He's the way. He he is. He's the way to hope. Um, I love love that reality. He's greater than anything you can face. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? He's the way. You want peace? He's the way. You want to know love? He's the way. Now, here's the reality. If Jesus is the way, guess what? We can't be the way. If Jesus is the way, you can't be the way. All right, which one is it? Are you the way to go, or is he the way to go? Which one are you following? Let's keep going. He says, not only am I the way, I'm the truth. We're going to look at three things of the truth. He's the word of truth. He's full of grace and truth. And he's the giver of the spirit of truth. All right, when Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate's like, Jesus, do you not know the power I have, the authority I have? I could let you go. And Jesus is saying, like, You got no power authority over me if it wasn't given to you. And then he he talks about truth, and Pilate asks the question, what is truth? Here is truth personified in front of him, missing it. What is truth, Pilate would ask, having no idea what truth is. What we know is this, is that truth is not something relative, what our world tells us. It's not something subjective. What is truth? Truth, Jesus says, I am truth. I'm truth personified. He is it. He is the word of truth. We think of the gospel of John and how it begins. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. He created all things. Jesus is the word of truth. He is the word of God personified. And we 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 have the word of God here in Scripture. It'll never lead us astray. Um, we know that in the original, it's inerrant. And Jesus is that word of God, that word of truth. That's why he says, kind of a cool thing, he and he alone can say, when he starts a sentence, truly, truly, I say to you. That was scandalous. What, was, what happened was, when the Torah was read in the synagogue, the elders of the church would yell out, truly, truly, amen, amen, God's word. And here you got Jesus starting off by saying, amen, amen, God's word. Let me tell you. Why? Because he is the truth of God, the word of truth in person. But there's more. I love the beauty. He's not only truth. He's full of grace and full of truth. In that incredible John 1 passage who tells us about this eternal God becoming flesh, the word of God, Uh, It says in verse 14, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. He he pitched a tent. He hung out with us. But it says in verse 16 and 17, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let Let that go into your soul. Grace, truth, the greatest of combinations ever. Grace and truth. Jesus is grace and truth. He is the fulfiller of the law. You see, law without grace, it's legalism. We've seen it, haven't we? You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You really got to live better. I mean, we've seen those people who give us the law without grace. But grace without the law, licentiousness. It doesn't matter what you do. Just go enjoy it. It feels good. Do it. No, no. We need to have both grace and we need to have truth. And that is what we have in Christ Jesus. Everything that God and the law requires of us, listen to this, everything that God and the law requires of us, God provides for us in Christ Jesus. God is holy, and he wants you to live a holy and perfect life. And you may failed miserably, so did I. And God says, if you want to live, you've got to fulfill this law. And guess what? None of us can do it. But Jesus did. And if you failed, you got to de- pay a debt of death. and Jesus paid it. All that God requires of us, God provides for us. Why? Because God is that gracious. And God is that good. And only God can say, my standards will never change. They're holy and perfect. God, he's holy and perfect. People think that God is going to say, oh, it's no big deal how you live. It is a big deal. How does God maintain perfect holiness and justice and perfect grace and mercy? A cross that his son would die on. The standards are upheld. The grace and mercy is met. And he gives it all to us. So what's left for us? Rejoice in thanksgiving. Please tell me you're not trying to fulfill what's missing in your life by trying to be better and being more moral. Listen, those are good things, but they're not going to earn you a thing because God and God alone in Christ Jesus has fulfilled what we never could fulfill. Jesus on that cross paid what we could never pay and he gives it all to us. Why? Because he and he alone is the one full of grace And truth. It's by grace that we know the truth. All to him we owe. Don't think, Christian, that we're smarter than the world because we see Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. Let me tell you what scripture says. If you are here and you are a lover of Jesus, it's by God's grace. It's because he's opened your eyes, because he's given you a new heart. He's given you the ability to do that. We cannot be arrogant. We can only be loving. Truth and love. Now, if Jesus is the truth, full of grace and truth, and also he's the one who's going to be sending us the truth, he will send us the Holy Spirit. Uh, He will send us the Holy Spirit to live inside us, to to make all things new and, and to realize that he is true. And if Jesus is the truth, we filter everything through him. Now, here's what's so important. Never let your circumstances Define who Jesus is, because your circumstances will be teary and bloody, and it 's going to make a weird picture of Jesus, and you 're going to be confused and say he can 't be that good, he can 't be that loving, he can 't be in control. but if you begin that Jesus is the truth, let his truth define your circumstances. He says all things will work together for the good for those who love him are we'll called according to his purpose i don 't know how that all works, and there's a lot of things in my life I 'd say this isn 't good. You're going to have to redefine good for me. But do we believe? Jesus is the truth. Now, here's here's, here's the flip side. If Jesus is the truth, watch this. We can't be the truth. If he's the truth, we're not, right? But we live our lives so arrogantly thinking that we are the determiners of truth. Now, let me meddle in our lives for just a minute live in a time where, say, this is an interesting book, man, you know, I, I, it's a, an old book, it's an outdated book, you know, how can you really say that the truth is in this book, or in Jesus? And we'll say, we're sophisticated people, we're, we're intellectual people, we're, we're people that live in a time that, how can you rely on this? And, and this will define things for us like God's intentions for marriage. Oh, come on, you, can, you can't believe that God has certain designs for marriage. So, I've seen many Christians who will live life and say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the truth, but no, no, no not the truth when it comes to marriage. I, I, I will believe that he wants something different. Uh, not the truth when it comes to life. You know, uh, life and life abundantly. Who's a giver of life? Or if God is a giver of life, can we decide what's important in life? Is a life important in the womb, out of the womb? Who has the right? And I know I'm meddling, but if he's the truth, he's the truth. And we can't be the ones to sit in judgment and say, well, I can pick that one, I'll pick this one. This one I like a lot, that one I don't like too much. And and then we've taken ourselves and we've made our own Jeffersonian Bible that will rip out the pages that we determine what is true. It's a scary thing. I bet you most of the people, if I said to you, do you believe that Jesus is true? Most of you would say yes. And I would say, how do we live our lives? As if he's really true or not. Where do we sit? Do we sit in judgment on truth, or does he? Now listen, I know I'm meddling with you, but listen, he, he meddles with me too. Because he points out things to me. Jeff, you know, you're, you're living as if you're judging what's true. And I, I've had the privilege of reading this, and there's times I scratch my head and say, what are, you, what are you doing? This just sounds crazy. Don't you know what times we live in? And do I either bow my knee to say this is true, or do I say you have to bow your knee to what I say Jesus is truth, we are not. He is the giver of the spirit of truth. I think I've mentioned that to you. Um, He says he will give us a helper to be with us forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive, he's going to help us navigate that um, to be with us. But thirdly, he says, I am the life. We're going to see that he's the giver of life and the meaning of life. Jesus is not just a supplement to your life. Now listen, Jesus didn't come so your life would be a little bit better, like a supplement that you pour into your water to give you a little bit more energy, to give you a little bit of that boost. Jesus didn't come to give you the supplement in life. And by the way, I love those supplements because tonight at 11.15, I will be playing hockey. It starts at 11.15 tonight. And I can guarantee you on the way to the rink, I will be drinking water with some stuff that Caleb gives me before a workout that I don't know what it is, but it gives me a little bit more juice because it's going to be 11.15 tonight, that I'm going to be out there skating around on the ice. You know, I need a little supplement, a little pick-me-up uh, for me to do that. Well, Jesus didn't come to be a little bit of a supplement to pour into your drink or make your life a little bit more full or more colorful. And let me tell you something. He's not just a flavor for life either to give you a little bit more taste. Jesus is life. And the way Jesus is life, he gives up his life so that we can have life. And his life, he dies so that we can live. He is the one who's the giver of life. Scripture will tell us that by nature, apart from Christ, on our own, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. You can have a lot of things going for you, You can have a lot of things the world has for you, but spiritually, according to Scripture, Ephesians 2.1, apart from Christ, dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins, no hope. But in that same passage, he says in 2 verse 5, but we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. He's the giver of life. Yes, giver of life, all of us from the womb, but the giver of eternal life. We are made alive in Christ. Here's what 1 John 5.12 says. Do we believe it or not? Whoever has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son does not have life. Pretty black and white. Where are you with Christ Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? You may have faith that's small as a mustard seed. You have life. You've been forgiven. You may have walked with him your whole life. If you have the Son, you have life. According to Scripture, it doesn't say if you have religion. It doesn't say if you've been baptized. It doesn't say if you've been moral. It doesn't say anything other than, do you have Jesus? Because with him is life. Not only is he the giver of life, he's the meaning of life. Paul will come to realize that of all the things to pursue, all the things to live for, he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What are you living for? What are you trying to find meaning and joy in? It's only in Christ. Galatians 2.20. Bill, I remember when you were in CLC. I remember how impactful this verse was for you many, many years ago. Um, And it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live, I live in Christ. I live for Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the life. If Jesus is the life, we can't be the life. We can't find it apart from him. Well, we live in a time, a time where Christian values are not the way, the truth, and the life. As I close this sermon, let me just say, for the first time in our history in America, we live in a time that Christian values are the minority. They're the minority. Even when we started, guys like Ben Franklin that were far from Christians, he was a deist, he valued Christian values. And we valued Christian values, but those values are out the window. And we've got to realize that we're missionaries right here and now in our own neighborhoods, in our own country. This is, this is our time now. We need to live our lives as Christians showing that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. We have been called to be countercultural always. Always. But now, more than ever. And I want you to know the truth. We're swimming upstream. And the current is rushing against us. Let me just hit pause. I don't think I just preached a popular sermon. I just think that I just took some, some, took some stances and said, you know what, if this is true, that can't be true. Where are we? And I want you to know, as your pastor, I'm just going to let you know right now, I'm feeling more and more called to this. Is this to say, we're going to let it fly. If this is God's word, we're preaching it. And it's not going to be popular. And, 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 and we will be maligned for this. We will be considered old-fashioned. But I believe, by God's grace, that Jesus is the way. And I want to follow him. And I believe that Jesus is the truth. And I want to stand on, him, on that reality. And I believe that Jesus is the life. And I want to preach nothing else. Our world needs to know this truth. And we got to stop swimming with them. And we got to start being countercultural for the glory of our God. Amen? Amen. You're with me? You're scared to death? I am. <laughs> All right, let's pray. And Father God, we thank you for that upper room discourse that Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's true. And God, if that's the truth, Everyone in this room needs to repent because every day we live our lives as if we're the way, the truth, and the life. We do. We're knuckleheads. Even those who know and love you. God, help us to be people of your word, empowered by your spirit. Your spirit is a spirit of truth that lives inside of us. And God, we're going to need your strength. We're going to need to trust in you because the reality is that we don't live in a culture anymore that embraces Christian values. They're gone. But God, we're the church. And these are your values because this is the value of your heart. And may we be people empowered by the gospel, empowered by your word, empowered by your spirit, that have the guts and the strength and the grace to say Jesus is the way and the only one. He is the truth. And he is the life. For the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor, we pray.